Well, good evening, church family and visitors. Um, I hope your time here has already been as encouraging to you as it has been to me. Um, my prayer for this short study is that it would provoke in each of us a holy desire to make God's name great by proclaiming his good news more broadly and loving his church more deeply than when we first walked in here this evening. As mentioned, my name is Danny Schrift, or Dan, or Daniel. Um, I guess this evening's service is brought to you by the Amazon, because I was also born and raised in the Amazon jungle and was baptized in the Amazon River. So there we go, brother. <laughs> um, but I'm a, just a proud member of this local sheepfold. Um, and tonight, I have the joy of sharing with you all some of what I've learned from this great verse I've been assigned. Um, but first, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you are the God who gives breath to all. We praise you for you have shown yourself to be such a compassionate God. We thank you because we know that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from you, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We love your word. Help us to love it more understand it better, and obey it more readily and joyfully. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. That's Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, and it's up on the screen, so... When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I'm going to reread it, um, but this time let's listen for the glory and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who is described here. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. In this passage, we learn that Jesus sees, he sympathizes, and solves. So first, Jesus, the good shepherd, sees the people, he sympathizes with their distress, and solves for their deepest need. These will just serve as our um, kind of basic outline for this evening. Lesson number one, Jesus the good shepherd sees. We read that Jesus saw the crowds, and to him, they looked like sheep without a shepherd. So was it their appearance he was describing or the condition of their hearts? I'm not sure what you think of when you think of crowds. Maybe you've been to you know, a busy city and gotten in a crowded metro car or kind of been jostled around you get the idea it's you know crowded smelly um, noisy look down at verse 23 of our same chapter so chapter 9 verse 23 here the crowds are described in this chapter as loud they made a commotion then in verse 24 we read that they laughed and mocked Jesus just before he raised a girl from the dead. 
Then in verse 31, both of the blind men he miraculously gave sight to immediately proceeded to disobey him. Then there are the negligent shepherds of Israel, the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 3 and 34 that accused Jesus of blasphemy and of being in cahoots with the devil. You know, this this isn't that type of crowd that, you know, kind of is going to a symphony or something, right? Leaves their kids at home with a babysitter and, you know, goes and gets their champagne and claps at all the right moments. In the, in the performance. No. <laughs> this is not that type of crowd. Um, though, as a pro tip, if you do go to a classical concert, um, don't clap in between the movements. Just clap at the very end of the piece. <laughs> so, to make this very clear, if you're going to experience Vivaldi's Four Seasons, for example, you don't clap between spring and summer. You hold your applause until the very end of winter, and then you can just clap riotously. But anyway, as Nick says, that's free. But um, Anyway, you may not have no idea what I'm talking about. That's fine. My main point here is just to say that there are crowds, and then there are crowds. Um, well, Jesus' response to this t- tough crowd, like, what, what, what would you do? What did Jesus do? Well, starting in chapter 9, verse 35, we read, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. Wow. What grace. Which leads... To our verse, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If you're here and you aren't a follower of Jesus, first off, welcome. We're really, really glad that you're here tonight. Um, but I do wonder, what, do you see yourself as someone who needs compassion? Is that offensive? The truth is, apart from God, all of us here are pitiable. Yet sometimes in our pride, we say in our hearts that we don't need God's compassion. Nothing could be further from the truth. Thankfully for you and for me, God has a compassionate heart. And he loves to faithfully pursue needy, pitiable sheep. Amen. One thing I think we can take away from this verse is that Jesus intends for his people to be gathered under the preaching of God's word. It's clear in the analogy Jesus uses. Put another way, what what do God's people not gathered under a spiritual leader look like to God? Like harassed and helpless sheep. What is God's heart toward those who are harassed and helpless? This leads us to our second lesson. Lesson number two, Jesus the Good Shepherd sympathizes. Among the thousands of people Jesus had seen on his journey up to this point, it was actually their neediness that was the dominant impression he had of them. I think you'd agree that the real high point in this verse is right in the middle with that word compassion. He had compassion. In 1631, so... uh, 
you know, a few years ago. The theologian Richard Sibbs reflected on this same verse, writing, how his heart, that's Jesus, how Jesus' heart did yearn when he saw the people as sheep having no shepherd. He never turned away back again that came to him, though some went away of themselves. He came to die as a priest for his enemies. In the days of his flesh, he dictated a form of prayer unto his disciples and put petitions unto God into their mouths and his spirit to intercede in their hearts. He shed tears for those that shed his blood. And now he makes intercession in heaven for weak Christians, standing between them and God's anger. He is a meek king. He will admit mourners into his presence, a king of poor and afflicted persons. As he has beams of majesty, so he has a heart of mercy and compassion. Praise God that we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, as Hebrews 14, 15 tells us. The crowd did nothing to deserve such love. Quite the contrary. Some followed Jesus around for things like bread, signs, wonders. Some, like Jesus, followed him for money or personal gain. Though the crowds were physically often very close to Jesus, even pressing up against him, Many of their hearts were actually very far from him. But God, being the compassionate God that he is, condescended. He came down. He became flesh. He dwelt among them. He sympathized with them and would later lay down his life for them. Let's not miss what Jesus is doing here. Jesus shows his compassion most significantly by preaching the good news of the kingdom through all the towns and villages, like we saw in verse 35, and healing every disease and affliction. And what is the greatest affliction of all? What does Isaiah 53, 6 say, using similar pastoral imagery? All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So what does Jesus do with his compassion? This leads us to our final lesson. Lesson number three, Jesus the good shepherd solves for the iniquity of us all. Those afflicted with sin have a fatality rate of 100%. And unfortunately, 100% of us are afflicted with sin. God alone has the cure. He alone can forgive sin. He alone can save. But how? The answer is the gospel. The good news about what Jesus has done to reconcile sinners to God. It's the good news, that good news that tells us that God Though perfect, infinite, and holy, he created us in his image. Yet, we turned away. We didn't want to have anything to do with him. We, we turned our backs on him. We sinned. Um, yet, because he is such a compassionate God, he didn't leave us in the mud, right? He came. He sent his son, his only son, Jesus Christ Christ 
who lived a perfect life, a life that me or you could never have lived, he laid his life down for us. He died. And then God raised him from the dead, just proving that he accepted that sacrifice and that was enough once and for all to save sin. And what's left to us is just to turn from our sin, turn to Christ, trust in him for our salvation. The Bible tells us that while we were enemies of God, Christ came and died for us. So friend, if you don't know this way, if you don't know God, just turn and start following Jesus, even tonight. So now that Jesus has solved the greatest problem, right? We saw that in the gospel. What do we do now? His earthly ministry is complete, but ours is not. He intends to continue to bring his lost sheep home through the spread of this good news. And how is he going to do that? Amazingly, and maybe surprisingly, through the church. That, that means us. He's gathering his sheep through the prayer and faithfulness of his followers. We read in the very next verse, so chapter 9, verse 37, Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the God of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus knows that the remedy to both our anxiety and apathy about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom with others is prayer to a sovereign God. As John Anwichekwa, or Jono, as many know him by, put it in his chapter on the role of prayer in missions, he said, quote, Prayer is the link in the chain that connects God's sovereignty to our responsibility. Prayer is essential and necessary for creating a culture of evangelism. So, where do missionaries come from? According to Jesus, they come as a result of God responding to our prayers. So, church family, let's pray for more gospel workers. And then let's not be surprised when God decides that we are the ones he's going to send out in response to those prayers. That's what happened with the disciples, just in the next few verses after our verse, and they counted it as a privilege. And finally, just some brief observations. First, I think we see here the massive, just massive importance of having good pastors. Put negatively, I think we're meant to see here that Jesus holds the spiritual leaders of Israel responsible for the crowd's poor spiritual condition. He uses the same phrase, sheep without a shepherd, as was used in Ezekiel 34, about the bad shepherds of Israel who neglected the sheep that were feeding themselves and weren't feeding the sheep. In stark contrast, Jesus cares deeply for his sheep. They're his. When Jesus looked at the crowds, he didn't predominantly see them as rebellious, like a young, uh, a kind of angry Moses did when he barked at the Israelites back in Numbers 20. Hear you now, rebels. Though they absolutely were rebellious. The predominant and most fundamental characteristic that Jesus saw in them was their lack of proper care. 
put positively from our passage in Numbers 27 this morning. Like a mature Moses, we should want to ensure that God's people have good under-shepherds leading them. Men like Joshua, who have the Spirit in them and can lead the congregation out to spiritual battle and back safely. Thank God for the pastors and elders we have been blessed with here at UBC. Amen. They work tirelessly to point us to the chief shepherd week after week. By God's grace, we are being made fit for our celestial home by the generous amount of instruction they provide. Pray that God would continue to bless this fold richly with the ministry of the word. Second, let's strive to be sheep that are easy to shepherd. Let's pray for humility and seek to always give our leaders the benefit of the doubt. Let's pray that God would give our pastors wisdom as they guide and encourage the weak ones among us, as they discipline and exhort the stiff-necked ones among us, as they seek out and draw in the isolated ones among us, and even as they rejoice with and build up the contented ones among us. And finally, brothers and sisters, the Bible tells me that I need your help along this narrow path that leads to eternal life and that you need mine. God intends for us to face the wolves and thorns, droughts and storms together. And soon enough, by his grace, we will be with our great shepherd. And until that day, let's persevere and sing loudly within earshot of the world. Thy goodness faileth never. Good shepherd, may I sing thy praise within thy house forever. Will you pray with me?